Well, thank you. Good morning. Golly, I'm late. I really didn't know. I, my clock said it was 927. <laughs> I just keep setting my clock back to match my reality. <laughs> you know, those clocks are changeable. <laughs> what, oh, it, oh. oh. <laughs> Joshua did it. He changed. That's right. That's it. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, we are going to get started, whether I'm late or not, and it's going to be good. And next week, I'm going to have my questionnaire about all you rapture believers and what you believe in the rapture. I know. I know. It's not. We can't. I know. You know what, guys? No, we're not. We're not doing the rapture yet because I'm still studying. It is a lot. You know what? It is a lot. And so, but I want to know what. I want to know where the group is. I, I mean, I know. Yeah. And so, my, my you are studying it. So, you're going to figure out what you know before you answer anything. Okay. Okay. I was. I talked to Christina yesterday. She's not in here yet, is she? Where's Christina? No, she's not here. And I just heard, I saw her brother come in. You, you, heard, you heard the best. Man, I. Anyway, so that's, you're in pre-trib, you're pre-trib there, you're studying pre, see, if you're going to study pre-trib, you need to study mid-trib, you need to study pre-wrath, you need to study post-trib, it starts to get complicated, so anyway, it's, it's been fun, that's why, you know, I thought it was easier when I didn't know anything, <laughs> look, see, there's, yeah, I was talking to her yesterday, I'm like, yeah, I've already got my thing, I'm going to. See, because I'm an Assembly of God minister, so I'm pre-trib, right? You know, I'm Assembly of God, right? So I said, when I teach other things, I'm going to go, but Christina believes. <laughs> so it didn't, that way I could get, I could say, yeah, that's right. Because Mike told me he's going to turn me into the district. I know, I know. That's our doctrine. That's our doctrine. It's pre-trib. The stated uh, 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God is pre-tribulation rapture of the church. That is a statement of the fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. There are 16 fundamental truths, and that's one of the fundamental truths of what the assemblies of God adherents believe. And when I was credentialed, I'm credentialed to uphold the 16 fundamental truths. That doesn't mean that I don't teach, uh, that I don't study or teach other varying views, but I understand who I am, if that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's pray, y'all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace and mercy. We thank you, God, that you are a God who keeps promises. And, Lord, we love you, and we love your word, God. I just ask you, Lord God, that you would reveal your word to us today, God. We thank you for your commandments. God, we thank you for your commandments. God, they are an invitation to life, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us discernment today, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Oh, aren't you thankful for his commandments? I mean, they are an invitation to life. An invitation to life. Unless you're perishing. And then they are an invitation to death. They are an announcement to death. What does that mean? depends on what side of the covenant you're standing on. You know what I'm saying? So that's how that's how the word works. It's so good. It's so good. We're going to turn this morning in our Bibles to several places. I want us to go first off 
as we're going to talk about the war for the door. And I'm not even going to get on the door this morning, but we're going to step into it this morning. And we're going to set up a setting today. We're going to talk about vessels of honor. Vessels of honor. Now, I want us to go first to, um, you can go here. I want you to go to Daniel 5. It's going to be several places. Daniel 5. Daniel 1. Ezra 1. Those are some, you're like, wow, what are they doing there? What the heck? Ezra, who reads Ezra? Let me change that. Let me get my glasses out. See, I'm late. So, thank you, Lucy. What'd you say? What'd you say? Don't be pointing out my old age right in front of everybody. Tim, gosh. That's his favorite. Well, that's right. He's going to be old, too. He's going to be old, too. I know. I know. Your elderly ways. Well, I can't. You know what? Daniel in this Bible is not in the same place. I lose Daniel when I'm reading this Bible. It's in. I remember it's in the 800s. Y'all find it? Read. Okay, read this for me. Oh, I got to read. No, I can't. I can't have you do that. Let me just go. Let me get over here in this Bible. This Jewish Bible that I have is set up differently, so my old Baptist sword drills don't work on it. You know what I mean? It's laid out differently. We should have had Jewish Bible sword drills too. I'm, I'm unprepared. Daniel 1. Daniel 1. And we'll follow 5. Well, it's just in the same book. You want just a, it's just all right. Daniel 1, 1 through 6. My, my glasses are dirty. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Besieged it. Took it over. Set up siege against it. Okay, besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoahim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who gave the king into his hand? The Lord gave the enemy. The Lord said, okay, here's the enemy, and here's my covenant people, right? And, oh, enemy, covenant people, be my guest. That's what it just said, right? I, 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 want you to, I want you to understand that. We have to understand the totality of the word of God. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. How many of y'all, when you read Shinar, what does that remind you of? Where's Shinar? Anybody know? Shinar? You don't know? Genesis um, 10 says that they built a, tab- a tower. In the plain of Shinar. So these are the Babylonians. That's where we're at. We're at, we're going, isn't that funny that God called? He set all the nations and separated them all. And he said, but Israel's going to be my nation. No, Israel didn't even exist yet. But he called a man named Abraham who had a child by promise named Isaac because only God can fulfill promise. And then that child had two children named Esau and Jacob, and the promise went to Jacob, and Jacob got his name changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons who became 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes became a nation. They went in 70 into Egypt, and they grew to two and a half, three million. And God said, these are my covenant people. All the other nations are out there, and this is the nation that I will use to bless all nations. 
so this is, now we're back to years and years and years and years of them refusing to follow God. Though God had offered them life and life abundantly. God gave them his, he gave them his commandments, which were an invitation to blessing. All you got to do is go through the commandment and what's on the other side? Blessing. You want to stay outside the commandment and what's going to be there? And so, where did they choose to live? Sort of somewhere in the middle. That's the most dangerous place you can be. It really is because it creates in you a pseudo-safety, a feeling that you're okay. It's when I see people come into the house of God and they're quasi-surrendered. You know what I mean? Semi-sort of kind of a little bit some places. I surrender all, but if you mean my awesome and some is what it is, and I'll define some as we go. I surrender all, like I said, some is what I say it is. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender some. Those some surrenderers. They are, they're, they're, in the, they're in the most dangerous territory. They make a little commitment, and I say a little commitment, but there's no power. They, they've made, when you surrender some, you've made a commitment to empower it yourself. Good luck with that. And you'll know. You'll know because they won't last long. There'll be a little bit of flash, a little fire, a little pizzazz, a little razz, a little taz, a little woohoo, and it's like, where are they at? Oh, you know. I surrender some. Got it. It's a some. Some verse. That's just... I mean, how many have been in the house of God long enough to see this by now? Yeah, some, so he's like, I was it. This is, you got, so he's like, Tommy's like, I, I wore that t-shirt for a long time. And it's hard. Yeah, oh, there we go. You are, because you're. Because you're standing, because you're standing in and in the promises of God, sort of, kind of, sort of at the door, and sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is to master you. But you must rule over it. And you found out you don't have the power to rule over anything. And so you just keep falling. You just got this cycle of just failure, 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 failure. Until ultimately the enemy's plan is that you don't come back to the door at all. So here we are. But this is, this is beside the point. So now we have, we're back at Shinar. So when you read the Bible, I want you to put, put on that, your thinking caps and go, where are we going to? We're going back to Shinar? It's like a rewind, isn't it? God's rewinding all the way back. We're, they're supposed to get this. He prepared Babylon. And he's like, okay, you want to do this? Let's do it. See, that's why Haggai was so flamuxed when he said, I will stand on my watch and I will see what you say, God, when I am reproved. In other words, he's complaining to God. If you read the prophet um, Habakkuk, if you read the prophet Habakkuk, he's saying, why, God, would you, a righteous God, raise up an unrighteous people 
and use that unrighteous people to against your called kingdom people. And so that's where we get in that quandary, don't we? And the Lord's got a whole life lesson going on here. And we know it because he took them back to the plain of Shinar. He took them all the way back to Babel. You want to play? That's what he's saying. Let's play. So here we are, vessels. Now, that's what we're, the vessels in the, so he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, Nebuchadnezzar's God. The vessel, now think about this. What are these vessels? They're the, all the instruments that are used in worship in the temple. All the instruments, the gold pans, the censers, all the things. You read in Exodus that God told Moses on the mountain how to make the vessels, and intricately they were designed, and he gave, he, he, he completely plundered Egypt. How did he plunder Egypt? By people going up to him and saying, you know, in this case, Tim, you're going to be Egyptian, sorry. Hey, Tim, give me all your gold. You go, sure. Take it. I'd love to give it all to you. Plundered Egypt like that. Just walk in. Just go ask them. How are we going to plunder them? Just ask them for all their stuff. Can we have all of your gold? Absolutely. Can we have all of your, you know, your fine woven linen and things? Sure. Can we have your porpoise skin, whatever that is? Sure. It was all these things that were used to make the temple. Can we have all of this? Yeah. They don't even know why they have it yet. They don't even know why. No, they don't even, and they don't even know. And yet they've even got people in their midst, two guys, I don't know, I can't, I can't say their name. One guy starts with an O and his other, the other guy's name starts with a B. But they are skilled in hammering out metal. They're already there. They don't even know what it all is for. But they're all just carrying, they have it in their possession. And Moses goes up on the mountain and God gives them details about how to weave all the thread that they've got, all the porpoise skins, all the gold, all this. Yeah, I've got people in the camp who know how to use it and know what to do with it. And they're going to build my tabernacle. They're going to build my tabernacle out of all these things. So go and ask the t people for it. And they bring it and they build. So everything that they've been given has come from who? His victory. His victory over the Egyptians when he brought them out by a mighty hand. That's his ownership. When he brought you out with his mighty hand, he owns you. That should set with you a little bit. Everything you have, it's his. Everything. Yes, and now see, and he's, and he's graced it all, and he's given it, and he's given it willingly. See, he's not, he's not a, a tyrant. He's not lording it over anyone, is he? He's not trying to be um, exacting. He's not doing any of these things. But then they go for how long? How many years? I don't, I should have looked at the years. It's, I mean, from, you should be able to do that for me, Mike. Just right now, how many years from Babel to Babylonian captivity? No, Babel, the power of Babel till Babylonian captivity. <laughs> and that is the technical term. Or even from Moses to a while, right? Many, 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 many years. Okay, so a long, I like that, a long time. So he took all these vessels. Now we know where these vessels came from. 
in the treasury of his God. Everything's going back to Babel. Y'all getting that? Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of food, and he ate, and the blah, 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 blah. And among these were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So are y'all getting what we're, what we're lining up now? So we've, we're, we're going back into captivity by God's design. All the gold that he gave them from Egypt that was used to make vessels by his knowledge and his strength and his power and his prowess and his ability, everything, we're taking all those vessels and we're going right back to Babel and we're going to put them back into captivity. But we're setting up now a metaphor because we not only have vessels, literal vessels, the metaphor has come forth, hasn't it? And who else do we have going back in? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're supposed to understand that they are vessels. Vessels. So we'll read this later in Timothy about, he says, in a great house. Why don't we just read it now? It just fits. Let me move on in my notes. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Two, 20 and 21. A large house contains not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some indeed are of honorable use, but others are for common use. So if anyone, now we're setting up the analogy, if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, he will be a vessel of honor sanctified, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. So who have we set up as the vessels here? People. So we have vessels in captivity, don't we? But see, God's still in charge of the whole shebang. So let's move to Daniel 5 now, and let's see what happens of these vessels. And I want you to understand the analogous thing that we're setting up. People are the vessels. And now we're going to look at, I'm just going to read, I'm just going to blow through this. Y'all are going to read it in your own time. King Belshazzar, Belshazzar is Belshazzar. He is Nebuchadnezzar's son. He's taken over. This is how long they've been in Babylonian captivity right now. Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of a thousand. Are you getting the picture? What pride, right? His lords. Here he goes. He's in charge. He's the man. He's the man. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, I, can, I just want to do this. I got to get my wine. He's down here. All of his people. This is a white. All of his people. All of his, some of you are like, I don't even know what she's talking about. All of his people are out there with his lords. 
when he tastes the wine of this feast in his moment of intoxicating pride. So good. Feels so good to be so large and in charge. What am I going to do? Pride will just take you one step further, won't it? Come on, hush your mouth. I don't. If you didn't prepare the sermon, you don't preach it from the back row. Okay. That's why I sit on the front row, so I can preach it from the front. Now listen, had he taken the, so he brought them out. He drank in front of them. And then he said, and they brought out the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. The views, the vessels of God. Now, Lord let them all do this, right? He let all this happen. But he, remember, he told Habakkuk, the vision's for an appointed time. And we're about to get to an appointment. And so it moves here. And he drank, and he drank wine, and he praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and wood and stone. And immediately, fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall in the king's palace. And the king saw the hand it wrote, and the king's color changed. <laughs> I bet his pants changed, too. <laughs> Imagine. Anyway. And so this hand, and it says his color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him, I guess, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. I mean, he is scared physically. I mean, how many of you would be? There's a hand that appears and starts writing on the wall with no body attached to it. But it's saying, meanie, meanie, tinkle, tickle, whatever it's really like a dumb thing. It sounds like it says it does. It's not. It's not my language. But anyway, what it means is you have, and they don't know what it means. So you know he has to go get, he has to go get a vessel. He has to go. Who's that vessel? Daniel. And he says you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And the kingdom will be taken from you. And that very night, the man who stood before his lords, drinking wine and toasting to his gods from the vessels of God that God had sent there for punishment. He drank from that vessel. And that night, he was murdered by the Medes and the Persians, who are the second kingdom that Daniel had already said it would come for. And we just keep moving down. The body, Rome, the legs. Rome goes into, or the body is the Greeks. And then goes down to the Roman Empire, two legs. The Roman Empire was branched out into two, the north and the east. And then it goes down to the feet of clay. 
that are mixed with iron and clay. That's the empire we've yet to see. Here's your little, little setup for the Revelation study. They won't mix together. The seed doesn't mix. So we don't know. That could be any number of things. But here we're looking at this. And so I've come to tell you today, if all of these things were prescribed by God because he's particular about his vessels, I'm telling you today that he's particular about his vessels. And you are his vessels. And he said to Timothy, Paul told Timothy, to cleanse yourself. See, I, I'm afraid that we have flirted with the grace of God for so long that there comes a time when the, the hand just appears from the unseen. And, and what God is doing is he is going to be calling a people that are going to be sanctified. This is the first step in doing what God ultimately had planned to do. What was Babel all about as Babel, the Babylonians came in and took Israel? What was that whole thing about? Why did God, why do you suppose God sent Israel into Babylonian captivity? Why do y'all suppose? Why do you think? See, you know the answer. To clean them. To clean, to clean idolatry out of the vessels. And he uses the vessels as you're supposed to be able to set up the analogous point of view. To see the actual vessels, but understand that the true vessels are not the gold and the silver. The true vessels are in this situation, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went in and didn't contaminate themselves. See, they chose not to eat the king's food. The food that they would not eat were foods that were not allowed on a Hebrew diet. They wouldn't. They wouldn't defile themselves because they were Hebrews. And so, so many times we as the vessels of God, we live in a culture that is filthy. I don't know. Have y'all noticed that we live in a culture that's filthy? How much filth do you partake in? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. See, we find ourselves so immersed in the culture that we're in that we find that we, we find it easy to mix, use the vessels to toast the gods <coughs> of silver and gold. And I love, I love what I wrote, read to you in Timothy, where Paul says a large house contains not only vessels of gold and silver. Let's just think about this. A large house contains vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. So it's common, right? We got, we got fancy stuff and not fancy stuff. Some indeed are for honorable use, and others are for common use. Sure. So if anyone cleanses, wait. So if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. Now I started thinking about this scripture years ago. I was like, Lord, what are vessels of honor? So I kind of had to set myself back into a place in old, you know, biblical times, old-timey days. You know, vessels of honor and dishonor. I was like, Lord, what would be a vessel of honor and one of dishonor? He's like, well, how about a bedpan? 
because it talks about the filth. Cleanse yourself from the filth. See, there's some vessels of honor and some for dishonor. See, it's easy for us if we just stay in the first half of the scripture, we say, oh, some people are just gold and silver and other people are just wood and clay. But then the scripture turns and now we understand what the vessels are. So if anyone cleanses himself of what is unfit, as far as I know, vessels, wood, hay, gold, and silver can't make any changes with regard to what they are. But people can, according to the scripture. So depending upon what you put in you determines what you are used for. I'm just exegeting the scripture. Right? So depending upon what you put, when you choose to put something in you, if it's filth, you have determined what vessel you are. Is that true or not? Or if it's not, then the contrary is some people are just made to be filthy. And we don't believe that, do we? I'm called to be clay, wood. I'm just made to be dishonorable. See, that's not, that's not what the scripture's teaching. I'm born, yeah, born to be, you know, it's, it's, it's so we have here cleanses himself. As I wrote this whole message, it became clear to me. I didn't even realize what I was doing. I thought, Lord, I'm teaching on sanctification. You know, I didn't even mean to, but I guess the Lord meant for me to. And so we look at this as we understand that what, what anchors us to this planet is our body. It's your body. And Adam and Eve, they had a body, soul, and spirit, as we do. Whenever Adam and Eve chose to disobey God by choosing to decide for themselves what was good and bad. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. Many theologians call it the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Because in saying it like that, doesn't it just bring clarity to you? Just the tree of what is good and bad. And so they decided to be the gods of their life because that was the temptation, right? You will be as God. To be as God means you get to decide what you do with you. So we've got a vessel that God has prepared, in this case, from the very dust of the earth. So who does it belong to? But he gave them a choice because perfect love requires a choice. Because you don't have a relationship with someone if you're forced into that relationship. That's called slavery. And you're not a free moral agent. And God made us in his image. He is free morally. And so he made us in his image free morally. And to be free morally means that you have a freedom to choose. And so Adam and Eve chose what was good and bad on their own terms. But as soon as they did, the Bible says, and they knew they were naked. Now, they were naked before, right? 
I mean, we don't have any talk of clothes, but they existed in innocent, sinless perfection. And so what is believed that clothed them was the light of God's radiance. And so just like now, I, I don't know, many of you have had, had angelic encounters. Now, for the sake of just, I won't, so I don't seem crazy, if you have had an angelic encounter of an angel that was in human form, raise your hand. Wait, look around. Okay, we got an, angels in human form. Now, I know Clint's because his is an angel showed up and saved him from a wreck, right? Pulled him out of a car when there was no blood anywhere on the car and, and the window was raised, was lowered that far, right? See, and he's out of the, he's out of the car on the ground, <coughs> and he remembers <coughs> the guy, right? He said, let's get you out of here, son. He was in human form, though. How many of you have had your, your angelic encounter was in divine form? Oh, that's just me? Oh, your divine angel form. Like you saw them as in divine beings. That's what I saw were divine beings. And they were clothed in light. They didn't have on human, you had, I think you said yours had on flannel shirt, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, he was from, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was just fitting into his environment, right? Yep. And he's in human form though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if an angel writes you a letter, you keep it. Huh? And see? And so we have these kind of things. And I know you've had these things. Now, when my, uh, the reason I say this is because he was in clothes, or yours is in clothes, and clothes. Now, the, when I saw an angel, he was, he was clothed in light. And so I have always assumed then that Adam and Eve were probably because they were in that place of the garden where they were in the divine counsel of God, that they were, in fact, clothed in light. That's what, that's what I presume. Exactly. Now, Hannah had, after she was attacked, and she was going, right after she was attacked, she was at fire wheel, and, a ma- and she got out of her car, and she was overwrought with fear because this attack was just playing. You know, everywhere she went, she thought that she was unsafe. As you know, you could imagine, you would be. And so she got out of her car, and she was fixing to go into Barnes & Noble, and she said she was petrified. She said, I was petrified, just standing there, almost frozen, and I couldn't even walk across the sidewalk to get in Barnes & Noble because she was so petrified that everybody was out to attack her. She said, I wasn't doing anything. I was just standing there. But inside, <coughs> she said, I was petrified. She said, this man just walked up to her, which didn't help her petrification. He just walked straight up to her, and he said, don't be fearful. Be believing. This is a beautiful day, and you are safe. He said, you are safe. And she said, who are you? Are you a Christian? And he went, 
Oh, no, she said, why did you say that to me? He said, it's my prerogative to do so. Prerogative. And she went, are you a Christian? He went, I am not, and walked on. She said, Mom, it wasn't an angel. He said he wasn't a Christian. I said, Hannah, angels are not Christians. <laughs> she went, oh, that tricky angel. <laughs> And that many people have had that as children. So when we say this, we understand that we live in a very populated environment. And this is what we don't, you know, just because you don't see it doesn't make it not real. And so then we see Adam and Eve moving from that transition. They stepped across a threshold when they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. They made up their mind to decide for themselves. And it says they knew the first, the first fallout was they knew they were naked. And so whatever had clothed them before no longer clothed them. And they became aware of themselves through their environment. See, they began to judge. See, we instantly see it. They began to judge right and wrong based on their big five. Their five senses, that's all they had. Because when they chose to be God, they made the lamp unto their feet and the light unto their path, their senses. And they saw things and they made determination on it. And so now we see God clothing. We see the mercy of God, don't we? We see them moving with their. And so what we understand is, is that we've set up a fall pattern, the fall pattern, the fallout. The fall pattern is this, that we see that they saw. I won't take time to read it. You can read Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 and Genesis 13 in your own time, and you can get these. The fall pattern is there. They saw the tree was good. They took the tree. They put the tree in them. They united with the tree. This becomes the fall pattern in the word of God. We see this again in Genesis. The sons of God, meaning the Elohim, the, the ones, they were the divine beings, saw that the daughters of men were good. You see the same thing set up again. And they took them for wives. Now we have the fall of Elohim. Elohim. And you see... And now we move over into Genesis 13, and we see yet again the fall pattern playing out, but it's not a new fall. It's just the repetition of it, a man by the name of Lot. That's Genesis 13. He's separated from Abraham <coughs> because he's Abraham's nephew. Abraham took him out with him from Ur of the Chaldees, from Haran, and they journeyed together. I believe personally, though the word doesn't say it specifically, that Abraham brought Lot with him because Abraham intended to make Lot his heir. Because he had no children and Lot's father had died. 
that would seem normal, right? That's just, it doesn't say that specifically. But what we find out is both Abraham <clears throat> and Lot became so wealthy that their herdsmen could not dwell together any longer. They had to separate. Lot got wealthy on Abraham's blessing. <clears throat> anybody, <clears throat> anybody who connected with Abraham is going to be blessed. Right? So here we have, we have the separation. So Abraham says, let's not fight. We're both wealthy. You go, one, you go left and I'll go right. You go right and I'll go left. You choose. You choose. Abraham said, carte blanche. You choose. So Abraham, we see Lot, if you read in Genesis 13, it says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the well-watered plain of Sodom. And he set his tent. And then we watch Lot's migration. He saw, he took, he unified with. And it cost him everything, everything. All the blessing that he had acquired with his relationship with Abraham, he got out with two perverted daughters. That's all he had. And what I mean by two perverted daughters, you know the story, don't you? Do I need to tell you how gross it is? They thought in their mind that was the right thing to do. See, when we begin to mix so much and we use our vessels, we will inadvertently <clears throat> teach our children that right is wrong and wrong is right, that the things will get upside down, that girls are boys and boys are girls or anything in between. Demi Lovato, every other day, she's decided she's a new pronoun. I'm not even kidding. She's like, I'm a they, them. Now I'm back to a she. Who knows? She said it's fluid. It's not fluid. But see, that's the... There's churches. The churches. Vessels. Vessels. Where are these vessels at? They're in captivity. And sometimes I believe that God just leaves the vessels to their captivity. Until the circumstance that surrounds captivity purges them of their idolatry. I mean, how many of you remember a story in um, Numbers, Numbers 11? It's a story where the children of Israel, they've already come out of Egyptian bondage. Now, I know I move around a lot, but y'all can read, write it down. Read Numbers 11. You'll find it. That They came out of Egyptian bondage, and they, God had already given them manna, but they got tired of manna. And what did they want? They wanted meat. They wanted meat. And so they're like, we want meat. <laughs> you know, we want meat. Yeah, bread, manna, 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 manna. You know, they start griping and complaining. You know, none of us would do that. That's why we make fun of them. It's easy because we're so right. So God says this. He said, prepare yourself. He said, because I'm going to give you quail. I'm going to give you quail every day for 30 days. And you can read it. It's funny. It's worth, how many of you have ever used the phrase, I'm going to give you quail till it runs out your nose? How many of you ever said that? How many of you ever said, I'll give it to you? Oh, you won't have it. My mother says all the time. She, she's so biblical. You're going to get it till it runs out your nose. What would that mean? 
I'm going to give it to you and give it to you and give it to you and give it to you until it is nauseating to you. This is the story of the quail that he gave. He, yeah, can I get some manna now? <laughs> he said he gave them quail till it was odious to them, till it was nauseous to them, till it ran out their nostrils. It was so much quail. And that's what God does to us so many times in purging our desires from us. He gives it, he takes you, and you go, okay, have it. Have it. Have it again. Wait, here's some more. You see what I mean by that? Oh, have, wait, wait, wait. How about just a little more? Till you're like, no more quail, God. And see, in doing that, now see, the Lord doesn't handle you this way the first time out because he knows you're a child. He, he moves you. He moves you until you understand the lessons, until he understands that you understand that you know what you're doing is just in the place of pure rebellion. And you're just doing it. And then pretty soon, see, the whole, see, you are able to do things in one season of your life and get away with it. And then it seemed like the season changed a little bit. And then you did the same thing you did, but you got a different result. And then you might start blaming God, and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage. And then you find yourself, and you're just like, and you're just wallowing in it. That's what God did with Israel. He took them. They were constantly flirting with other gods, not just flirting. They were in pure idolatry while calling themselves covenant people. I mean, I know this doesn't sound like anybody in the church. It doesn't sound like anybody in the church claiming to be, you know, blood-bought and redeemed in the church of the living God and, and, and still living in sin. I, no, that's not, I, sure, surely it's not true. Anybody would do that. But, see, they continue to live in that brand of idolatry where they thought they were untouchable because they were the covenant people. And even the prophets were saying, no. God won't take us into bondage. We're covenant people. No, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. And Jeremiah's going, I think something's changing, guys. I smell something different in the prophetic wind. <laughs> yeah, uh, guys, guys, I don't want to say anything real bad, but your message is off. Uh, all of us, Daniel, all of us, Jeremiah, we all agree that it's all good. We all agree. You see, did you say that? Yeah. Did I say that? Yeah. You agree with me and I agree with you. And Jeremiah's like, that's not what God's speaking to me. That's just not what God's speaking to me. God's speaking to me that we're going to go into bondage. Well, who knows? We may need to to get cleaned up. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we may, we may need some tribulation. <laughs> just kidding, y'all. So we, we look at that. See, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's important now. It's important now. I stand here in the office of Jeremiah. Clean up the vessel now. Cleanse yourself from the filth. Cleanse yourself from the filth. Look at your life and say, what filth have I been getting away with? And I don't, you know, I really probably shouldn't be doing this. I mean, it might be filth in your mouth. 
filth in your mind, filth in your eyes, filth in your heart, filth in your hands, filth in your community, the people you run with. You show me your friends, I'll show you where you're going. It's just true. I mean, I know this may be hard. You're like, Andrew, we're supposed to be talking grace. This is grace. This is grace. God's grace took Israel to Babylonian captivity. And he left them there for 70 years, and they came out squeaky queen, squeaky, squeaky clean. You don't know this, but we're going to go to Ezra now. Okay. So, so we're almost there. We're going to go to Ezra because y'all thought we don't even read Ezra anymore. Who reads Ezra? Well, I'm going to read Ezra. I can't even find it. I think they removed it. It hadn't been used in so long. Amos, Obadiah. It's up, oh, it's up here. Esther, Ezra. Gosh. I lost him entirely. Where did I tell you all to go? Ezra what? Do you all remember? I did? That was smart of me. One. Okay, one seven. Okay, look at this. Now we're at the end of 70 years. Let's find out about those dang vessels. Ezra 1. Well, I'm going to begin reading in 7. Okay, Cyrus, the king also. Wait, oh, oh, let's go 6. And all who were about them aided them. Let's back up one more. I can't. Five. Then arose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah. Oh, man. Aren't, what? Oh, gosh. I didn't even notice that. What? Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah. Then rose up the heads. Lift up your heads, O oh, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. See, this is the war for the door. And you're the door. I'm, I'm, wanting some, I'm wanting some heads of doors to rise up and actually see where they're at and understand who they are. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that was in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold and with goods and with beasts and with costly wares. It sounds just like Egypt, doesn't it? Besides all that was freely offered, Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed them in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithadath, the treasurer who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. And he names all, all of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls, 410 bowls of silver, 1,000 vessels, 50, um, and all the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. Those are the vessels that were back there. They're still stored up. But when it comes time, to bring the people out. He brings his people out of bondage. But he's more concerned about bringing the bondage out of his people. He's more concerned because it was, the vessels are just vessels. The problem was the vessels, what the bondage that was in the vessels, the children of God, is what got the vessels into bondage. And the Lord used the bondage until that bondage became a cleansing agent to separate the bondage from the vessels. I think in the house of God, now this is just Andrea. This is thus says Andrea. I don't know. Many people, they get down on their luck 
they get to the place where they are getting, they're, they're picking the fruit from the vine that they've sown. And then they're, they're, I mean, they're living this life of bondage. You know, they're not coming to me asking me for help when they're in the high. They're coming to me in the low. And then they're wanting me to do this, that, or the other because of the choices that they've made. What I want to do and I don't. Maybe I should. But I fear how you might look at me. I want to go enjoy your quail. Are you ready to turn yet? But see, then there's this weird balance, right? But Andrew, you're just supposed to help them up. And then I think sometimes, Tim, what I'm doing is I just, I just prolong. I just prolong the trip one more time. And I just bring it, and it just comes back around, and I'm doing the same thing again. I've done this long enough to know this is how this cycle works. Do you realize I'm fixing to give you a quick statistic? It's going to suck. We, in March, will be, doing, will be ending the food bank program that we do, passing out food, after three years. Because the, it, it was a COVID thing, and the food bank no longer is going to deliver it. That's fine. I understand that. Well and good. Moving back to normal. Three years' time, we have stood out that parking lot, and we have serviced 1,500 families a month in this community. Shown them love, Right? We've loaded the groceries in. We said, God bless you. Have a good day. Lord, you know, help. You know how many people came to this church because of it? <laughs> I'm, not ta- I'm not saying you shouldn't. See, this is, where the, this is where it gets tricky, doesn't it? Isn't this a tricky place? I come back, I'm like, I'm like, and, and I, it's not that you shouldn't do good work. See what I'm saying? It's not that you shouldn't. But it comes down to the, yeah, pass it out, pass it out, pass it out, pass it out. But it comes down to the fact that people have got to get sick of their life or they're not going to make a change. I just don't know how else. It, I just, they've got to see their lives as a life they no longer want. I, I don't know. What is it? What is it? I mean, I've said it before. Soup and soap doesn't work. Soup, I mean, we, we, give, we give soup what I mean by soup and soap. We think that by giving soup and soap, we're going to bring them into the kingdom with soup and soap. It's not. It doesn't work. It is by the foolishness of preaching that men should be saved. We will do anything but preach the gospel. And you say, well, that is preaching the gospel. Maybe, maybe. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. They're necessary. Do you see what I'm saying? We believe good works is good. You see what I'm saying? And am I, am I sitting here? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Do good works. Sure, do it. That's great. That's, you know, and so that everyone will see. It said that useful for the mass, prepared for every good work. 
I think it comes down to the fact that I don't want to be a vessel who just pours through any good work. I don't. Because there's a lot of good, I don't want moral Christianity. I don't. I don't, I don't want, when I say moral Christianity, I don't want immoral Christianity either. I don't want a version of righteousness that is just as Luther called it, moral righteousness. Atheists are morally righteous. I want a version of a Christian experience where I am a vessel of God and I have been clothed with power from on high. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to have the treasure in the vessel. I want when I open my mouth an anointed message to come out because I want to have some treasure on the inside and not some work wrapped around me on the outside. I want people to know I host the Holy Ghost. That's all I want. That's all I want. And I think that's the only proper use of a vessel to become a vessel of honor. Moral Christianity. Moral righteousness. Is in fact no righteousness at all. It is the very righteousness that people stood before Jesus on that great day and said, Lord, didn't we fill in the blank? Didn't we? Didn't we? He said, depart from me. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I cannot base my honor of my vessel on a work I do, but on a work that's in me. And the work that's in me will become a work that is done, and that work will be an efficacious work. I want to see people come into the house of God and give their lives to God, not just fill up their cars with the food from the house of God. I mean, is this wrong? Go ahead, pass out. I mean, I'll pass. I'll probably I'll pass out food every day. But I'm just like, Lord, Lord, send a revival. I want to see people get out of their cars, shake under the power of God. Lord, we're done. Vessels of honor. I didn't get to the marriage of Cana. I'll just let y'all look at that. Look at the marriage of Cana. The very first miracle that Jesus did. He said, "Give me some vessels." I'm going to change the contents. And that is the gospel. He said, just give me a vessel. I'll change the contents. Content change. Content change. And when they draw that out, it'll be something that's phenomenal to the people, the guests. I want, when I serve something, I want them to go, I've never had wine like this. Because somebody's changed the contents. That's it. All right. This is going to sound horrible, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When I was doing dope, drugs, 
and I was living in this house here in Greenville, off of Park Street. There was a guy that just showed up out of nowhere. And everywhere I turned, he would write stuff, scriptures on my mirrors and on my walls and everything. And he kept telling me that he was here to protect me. I never knew his name except for Jason. And then whenever I, he wasn't around and I tried to find him, I couldn't find him. But I would look around in the house and there'd be things wrote on my mirror. And I've been a 